Hello, I am a hippogriff that has lost the will to fly. And I'm Butch Gunnington, American wizard. <laughs> I'm the American stereotype that J.K. Rowling would write if she was writing a, a book about wizards and needed an American. And my pronouns are f*** you. <laughs> my patroness is the appropriated soul of a Native American warrior. <laughs> when I go to Hogwarts, I arrive at a magic F-250 that comes like rolling out of the mountains. The core of my wand is liberal tears. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Planet of the Rowlings. I have a tall boy warp tube. From modern times, that's 8.5% alcohol. Uh, I'm also drinking a tall boy. It is a winter IPA from Half Acre Beer Company in Chicago, Illinois. 6.8%. Nice. So you're going to get 1% more messed up than me. <laughs> What's up, Butch? Not much hippogriff. Hey, we're both kind of magic themed today. So I have a theory about Sesame Street. Sorry, the beer's already kicking in. <laughs> You have, as everybody who grew up with Sesame Street knows, you probably know the song. Uh, and there's, you know, in the song, it's very enticing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it wants kids to come to Sesame Street. Come and play where everything's a-okay. The air is sweet. Like, you know, they're, they're painting this picture of an ideal yeah. place. But then at the end of the song... They say, can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? <laughs> so this is a place they don't even know how to get to. Have they ever been there? Are they just <laughs> mouthing propaganda that they heard from Big Big Bird? Speaking of songs, I wanted to <laughs> tell you about the Macarena being back. Um, Macarena is back? Yeah, Marlo comes home the other day and she's like, I want to show you this amazing African dance that I learned in school. <laughs> Proceeds to do the Macarena. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. But um was blown away that one, I knew what the Macarena was, and two, that I then pulled up the Macarena video. <laughs> I guess they play this at recess. They have an edited version that's the it's the Bayside Boys remix, but they take out the parts with the women. So it's just oh, where they're the, like talking about like the guys yeah. cheating, yeah, yeah. So it's just, <laughs> it's just like that beat with the guy, the old guys singing over it. <laughs> so over I showed her the video. Again. I showed her the video from the '90s, and she was she like hates the women. She's like, "This is annoying. I just want Los Del Rio." <laughs> oh man, that is hilarious because that is <laughs> it's like a dystopian version. <laughs> <laughs> where you go there and the only thing they allow to play from songs are the hooks just over and over mm, and mm. over again. <laughs> it kind of makes sense for that age group because that's all they want are the hooks. That's true. Nelly's been story. playing Just Dance, which if you're unfamiliar with it is a game. Mm. We have it on the Nintendo and you hold the controller in your hand and you match the dance moves of somebody on the screen and they're singing popular songs. Mm -hmm. 
and she has me always put the songs on there on her playlist. So her playlist is like way more up to date than anything I would I would put together. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. Dua Lipa and Lady Gaga and uh, mm-hmm. Lizzo and all these people. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to very quickly be immersed in popular culture. And we think we know popular culture and we're going to realize very quickly just how old we are. <laughs> well, it's funny how this stuff filters down because one day she was telling me about how they were playing Squid Game, which was basically, I think the version they were doing was like red light, green light, except you die mm-hmm. if if you uh, are moving when the person <laughs> sees you. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know if I really want you playing Squid Game. And I thought that was the end of it. And then like a couple months later, she started excitedly telling me about something at recess. And she's like, yeah, recess, we were playing Squid a game i was like what were you about to say she's like nothing (laughs) so they're clearly still playing squid game and i would bet that none of these first graders have actually seen squid game or Mm -hmm. if they have it's just sort of been on the background while their parents are watching it i mean marla came home one day saying that they were talking about brianna taylor on the playground i don't know if they come from the older kids or if it's part of what they're talking about in class but you know these are huge big complicated topics that they're not yet prepared to really <laughs> fully understand, but they're engaging with them. So let me ask you this. So Florida has passed the don't say gay bill. I can't remember the official name, but essentially making it illegal for teachers to mention or teach about homosexuality and a couple other things before third grade. In light of what you were just saying, what are your thoughts on the don't say gay bill? You know, obviously, like same sex parents are going to talk about their sexuality with their kids to the extent that it is relevant, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why why are we different than other families? It seems like a bad idea to artificially try to control that conversation outside of the confines of the house. Like, that's going to be a conversation that those kids have with their friends. It's important to to them. It's part of their life. It's who they are. I think to deny them that. I think it's wrong for kids' development, and I think that it it deprives them of something. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think, first of all, it's important to have structured conversations about these things mm-hmm. because the things kids are learning on the playground tend to be really warped and just sort of parodies of what their parents are saying. You know, a kid mm-hmm. that's in third grade or y- younger doesn't really have a good, well, I shouldn't say in every case, but in almost every case, would not does not have a good grasp of social issues. And it's going to tend to be very limited and one-sided and probably, uh, you know, not, not helpful. (laughs) So being able to talk about this stuff. And like you said, there's a lot of kids growing up now where this is their reality and, Mm -hmm. you know, they need to understand that it's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. And exactly. uh, It stigmatizes it. So you wanted to talk about gender reveals. I, first of all, I think gender reveals are awesome, and I think they should be as big and as ostentatious as possible, <laughs> preferably involving fireworks and explosives. If nobody's put in danger, then the gender reveal has failed, and the baby's gender <laughs> will be undecided when it's born. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. I think gender reveals are are awful uh and you know on a on a small scale great right you want to have like some moment that you can share with your family but people have just taken it overboard you know to the extent where they're causing forest fires because they're they're Mm -hmm. igniting explosives and it's just become like this this huge cottage industry and on one hand i think 
it's almost a reaction to sort of the ambiguity in the conversation about gender now, where we're recognizing that gender is a lot, a lot more complex than just male and female. And I think it it's it's helping people feel safe and that they can have a, a safely categorized baby from the get-go, no matter what mm-hmm. happens later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, hey, let's let's party. My baby has balls. I feel as if right now we're in sort of the second, or maybe not the second, but a new pushback against homosexuality. Like it kind of felt like that battle was won for a while and that it was mm-hmm. becoming normalized. And all of a sudden now it's being stigmatized mm-hmm. again in a, a lot of places. And it's, it's really sad. You know, this kind of relates to a, something I want to talk about later, but I think that there's the idea of the cyclicality of history, I think is true. You know, humanity's progress is one of stops and starts. Yeah. Speaking of stopping and starting, uh, baseball's back. <laughs> <laughs> After a, a very tense, like, week and a half of negotiations past <laughs> opening day. Despite the fact that baseball's raking in tons of money through all these cable deals, like, it's not a cultural mover in the same way that it used to be. And like, ultimately baseball fans are probably going to come back, but baseball has lost its like large scale relevancy. So who gives a shit? Right. But I don't know if you, I've started watching winning time on HBO. Have you seen this series yet? I haven't. It's a, it's about the, the showtime Lakers of the eighties. And it's about when Jerry Buss buys the team and his whole philosophy is that basketball should be more entertaining. And he brings in, these elements of like other parts of culture to like make it more interesting. I kind of feel like baseball is at that moment where it needs, it needs something new. It needs to be reimagined because if it goes on like it is like there, it's going to reach a point where no one cares. I'm not sure if this ties into it or not, but another interesting and problematic thing that's been happening in baseball is the number of black players yeah. as a percentage has gone down. It, you know, yeah. it's peak. It was at like 20, 25%. Now it's down around mm-hmm. 13. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering why that is. Is it because baseball is boring and it's just not as attractive? Like, mm-hmm. but what what what's what's causing the regression? Do you have any theories? Mm-hmm. For one, I think that it doesn't have cultural cachet. The NBA is awesome. The NBA is a league of stars. Like you you look at you look at any NBA roster and like not only do they put their stars front and center, but they put the marketing might behind them, right? LeBron, KD, Steph. Draymond, these are all household names. They um, have a voice, right? They yeah, don't get in trouble. And they're allowed to they're allowed to like show their personality. They're allowed to like talk about their politics. Fashion is a big part of it. Then you go to baseball and it's like, name one baseball star that you would recognize on the street. <laughs> like there's <laughs> barely anybody, right? Who yeah. baseball has this whole like series of unwritten rules. You can't be flashy or flamboyant. You can't celebrate. It's almost like Baseball wants itself to be irrelevant because it it squashes any sort of like individualism or personality. Yeah, I think it all has to. It's all, it all hinges on the dumpy pants. Remember, <laughs> yeah. you, you remember? Yeah, we, we, you yeah. know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like ball players used to wear the tight pants with the high socks. And yeah, not to stereotype people here, but the ladies like used to like to look at the baseball asses, but they don't anymore. I was listening to Center Field the other day by John Fogarty, mm-hmm. which, as you'll remember, was like the quintessential Little League song when we were little. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in that song, he's talking about the handsome brown-eyed man, right? Baseball mm-hmm. used to have some sex to it, and now, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't. It's yeah. it's like the yeah. gentleman's game, and it's losing relevance. 
And it's sad because I really enjoy baseball. I do want to like quibble with the quintessential song though, because all that, <laughs> although that is a great song, I think the quintessential baseball song is when you're sliding into first and you feel something burst diarrhea. <laughs> I totally sang that for my family the other day out of the blue. And they looked at me like I had four eyes. It was like, what the hell, dad? <laughs> and then at the it's end, Nelly said, sing it again. Yeah. She knows what's up. So you think that we should integrate dogs into more regular jobs. Tell me more about this. Yeah. Right. So. First of all, dogs are just smart enough to be awesome, (laughs) right? They're not as cool and calculating as cats. Like, they're there to please. But imagine this sort of move as COVID begins to to become endemic, people are going back more and more into the offices, and they don't want to go back more and more to the offices. But imagine if going back more and more to the office meant you got to interact with Nashi the Golden Retriever who would go between desks and just kind of like snuggle at your feet and chill with you and lick your hand every once in a while. Who takes care of the office dog, though, when everyone goes home? Well, I mean, somebody would have to have ownership of it, right? There's like a checkout policy? Uh, Or or just like, you know, you have a handler. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're, you're, and, and, and that's like a plus, right? So when you're being hired into the office, you put on your resume, like dog handler, I have a professional a professional yeah. schnauzer that, that comes with the package. So if you hire me, you're going to get another office dog. And I then mean, like when places are hiring, they can say, we have three office dogs. See, I thought you were going to say that with all of the these like fast food worker shortages that we should just hire dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one to work at the Chick-fil-A? Don't worry. We got some dogs. I, I'm down with that. I don't know if I would want to eat a Chick-fil-A prepared by prepared by a dog though like one for me one for the customer (laughs) two for me one for the customer yeah so i i definitely think we should incorporate dogs and you see this in like academic departments because like professors can't be fired so they'll bring their dogs in and everybody loves the Mm -hmm. dog right Mm -hmm. you know there's the sourpusses that don't but you can segregate them off into like their own anti-dog department you know everybody who likes dogs gets to be with the normal people that's right i said the ear abnormal if you don't like dogs don't at me so <laughs> I, I have a couple Ukraine, Russia related things to talk about. What are the odds that we're all still alive in one year? Oh, I don't think we're I don't think we're heading to nuclear Armageddon. You don't? No. I give so it 99, 99.9% odds. Okay, okay. I like that. You're always much more level headed and rational than me. The underlying logic that's prevented nuclear war still holds that you know nobody wants to be the one to annihilate civilization. And Honestly, I think with with Biden in charge, we're not going to uh, provoke that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's consequences to it. But at the same time, I've been really inspired by the degree that the Russian people have kind of stood up to Putin and mm-hmm. his warmongering. And I think if he were to decide to drop a nuclear weapon, it would be somewhere in the theater of war that wouldn't trigger a... Um, necessarily a nuclear response but it also would probably terminally doom his leadership and um, lead to him being evicted from office you're making me feel better about things (laughs) personally i would wager that we have an 85 percent chance of surviving see that's that's pretty like 
that's a 15% chance of annihilation. That's high. I don't think we're quite that high. I, I get to me, it, to me, it comes down to if, if something, if a mistake happens, how do you stop escalation? And I do think you're mm-hmm. right that Biden is probably the best possible person to have in, in the role because <laughs> he's old enough to remember what it was like to be in prime Cold War territory and to understand the ramifications. But I heard I saw somebody on Twitter railing against millennials because they didn't know what it was like to be under the the ha- under the hammer of Damocles or the sword of Damocles mm-hmm. uh, with nuclear war. And it's like millennials were born in 1980. They spent yeah. the first 10 years of their life like mm-hmm. in that. So that person's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, we're we're like cusp millennials. We're right on the edge. I mean, I got to tell you, I don't remember too much of the anxiety, but I do remember that Jesus Jones song that came out in 1992 when we all felt like the whole world was going (laughs) to, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. There was also a uh, Van Halen song that was kind of like that too. Hey, come on tomorrow. Come on tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel as if we are, you know, we're in a precarious place right now but it's there's been a lot that led up to this and i don't see this as an issue of like russians or americans i see this as an issue of authoritarianism and you know putin is very authoritarian and that's first and foremost above any economic policy or anything in that country and i see a lot of people in this country that are trying to move us in that direction because it's and I, I get I get the reasoning, right? It's so damn hard to govern the US. So many people who want to do so many different things and there's been there have been so many rights recognized by the government that when you want to do something, it can be just virtually impossible. And you know, so it's hard. And the t- it, there's the temptation of investing power in a single source because you know they'll get things done. But inevitably it becomes a kleptocracy, just like Russia, mm-hmm. just like China. You know, where you have this elite class of people that rule from above and reap all the benefits. And, you know, to an extent, America is moving in that direction, which is really Mm -hmm. sad. So this is a perfect segue into the next topic. Francis Fukuyama, who wrote The End of History, which was (laughs) famously wrong. Wait, history didn't end in the 90s? (laughs) Francis Fukuyama wrote an essay this week, or not an essay, a blog post. But he he predicts that, that the Ukraine invasion will be the peak wave of populism. And my question to you is, how wrong will he be this time? <laughs> well, I mean, I think for all I th- for all that people support Ukraine, at the end of the day, it may take months, but Russia is going to get control of that country. Yeah, and um, it's probably going to be a long, bloody occupation. I think Ukraine's mm-hmm. in for a period that's really nasty, and I don't think a lot's going to change. Francis Fukuyama thinks that. Eventually, this will doom Putin because there'll be a revolution or an inside job, and his own government will take him down. So I, I've I've thought that as well. I kind of put it in the category of probably irrationally hopeful thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look, I, I, I definitely think he's under pressure, and I think he's paranoid about the people around him. But that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's going to be successful in taking him down. There was a picture that was circulated of him meeting with his cabinet where he was at like one end of a 20-foot table and everybody else <laughs> is at the other end. And that right there is emblematic, right? How, how do you even 
he's he's protecting himself he's distancing himself from everyone around him but at the end of the day he has the support of the russian autocrats and unless Mm -hmm. that changes he's going to stay in power so let's talk about something positive then dave okay COVID is back baby oh yeah three weeks three (laughs) weeks it's back it's spiking in hong kong it's spiking in new zealand Everybody's poop water in America. It's spiking in certain cities. COVID is back. (laughs) (laughs) We're all going to be positive again. (laughs) Oh, man. That is some positivity right there. Well, you know, on the other hand, maybe it means that I won't need to go back full time to work and I'll be able to work from home for longer. So that's cool. But are we out of to give about COVID? Oh, we're totally out of to give. I mean... People were out of to give like the moment that it happened. So, you know, now we're in this protracted situation and, you know, the answer for a lot of people is just that we ignore it. Uh, And it's Mm -hmm. depressing because you go out to an amusement park or you go out to the store and there's a bunch of, pardon my French, walking around with that mask on. And I know the mask things are being lifted, but I'm talking kind of like before that, Mm -hmm. you know, someone close to me was at the airport and talking about how they got called out for not wearing a mask. It's like, well, yeah. yeah, you weren't wearing a mask at an international airport during a global <laughs> pandemic. Like, I know that you live in a media bubble, but come the f- on. <laughs> Some real talk right now. This is not about you. This is not about freedom. It's about public health. And what's really been funny to me is all the conspiracy theories that have sprouted up about about COVID, how Anthony Fauci is inserting Bill Gates' sperm into every COVID vaccination dose. Do we have like a big machine that can separate sperm into individual sperms so that there's enough of them to put into every vaccine? Yeah, my question is like, how much is Bill Gates jerking off? Are they freaking (laughs) like milking him? We've administered hundreds of millions of COVID doses. So I, I get endlessly pissed off. There was a there was a guy who he would always pick up his daughter, and all through the pandemic, you could tell he was just a jackass. He was refusing to wear a mask, and he had this look on his face like asked me to put a mask on. And uh, him and I exchanged glares a couple times, and he was just a kid. pardon my French again. And the other day, I'm waiting in line to pick up my daughter, and if you've you waited in line at an elementary school to pick up your child. You know, this is a cutthroat, high-stress situation. He comes in from the other direction on the road and pulls in between the car, my car and the car in front of me because I was, like, right behind a, a driveway and just sits there. So I was honking, like, dude, like, get in line. He's like, my car, my radiator's broken. So I was like, then park your car and walk in, dude. This is not rocket science. So then I'm sitting there. And I pull forward a couple spots, almost to the point where I can pick up my daughter. And he's since pulled into the faculty lot he's not supposed to park in. And he's gotten out of his car. And his sweet little girl sitting in the back seat, looking terrified. And he comes up to my car. And he's like, he does the thing to roll down the window. So I roll down the window. And he goes, I just want you to know you're a f-. And he's yelling this in front of all these elementary school kids. So I said what? some things back to him, rolled up the window. But, like, this guy has issues. And that's crazy. This guy has issues. And like, I feel like a lot of people's issues are being focused into COVID right now. Like we need some real problems for people to focus on. Not that COVID is not a real problem, but like people, your everyday person is pretty much helpless to do anything about it. Nuclear Armageddon. That's a big problem to focus on. This dude was a pretty big dude. We could uh, set him up to block the blast. 
chest bump it, send it back out into space. <laughs> uh, right, let's end on a positive note. Let's talk all about right. the Star Wars Hotel. Oh, man. So, like, the Star Wars Hotel, family of four costs 5000 bucks for two nights. <laughs> what could we do for $5,000? You could go on the a pretty kick-ass like, European vacation for 5000 bucks. My, my friend had to go there to help film a commercial. Oh, did he film the commercial where the, the people arrest Chewbacca? I don't know. I'll have to okay. ask you. Because <laughs> there's a commercial where these two girls arrest Chewbacca, and it's hilarious and disturbing at the same time. They're like, oh, we're in the first order, and Chewbacca's like being walked away in handcuffs. It's awesome. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you get... If you really want to live under an authoritarian regime, you can go to the Star Wars Hotel, or you can wait two more years, and it will come back to America. Oh, man. I got the yeah. lyrics up for this Van Halen song, Dave. Let's sing it. It's your tomorrow, right, right now. now. Come on, it's, it's everything. everything. <laughs> Have I ever told you about the dream that I've had? Just for our listeners, Neil and a couple of our friends were in a, a pseudo band way back when, and I, I was not music musical at all. So I just sort of was like a groupie. I just sat around while they played. But I've had this recurring dream lately where you guys are going on stage and you forced me to come on and play guitar, even though I don't know how to play guitar. And so I'm up on stage like trying to play guitar and people are booing me. And it's it's kind of a terrifying dream. So yeah, I'd like, like you to apologize about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Dave. I mean, that's that's like one of those be imagining yourself naked in front of the, the conference as you're speaking terror dreams where you're just wearing black socks. I think you have to conquer your fear and learn how to play guitar. That's the only answer. Yeah, I actually, we have a guitar here in the house because I got one for Brownwin a few years ago for Christmas because she wanted to learn. She never learned, but we still have a perfectly good guitar. I should oh, take it back up. You got to play. You got to practice. Then we can start the band, baby. I got a bass guitar right here. I got a guitar over here. Let's go. All right, my friend. It was good talking to you today. It's good talking to you. This has been Planet of the Rowlings. Come on. It's everything right now. <laughs> <laughs>